Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I kind of wonder what the Corinthian church was like. Uh, Matt's reading of these first verses in what we call uh, chapter 3 are pretty blunt from Paul. Now, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Maybe a modern translation said, I really can't talk to you as, uh, as, as fellow believers, uh, uh, your babies, your babies. That's a nice way to uh, begin this letter. And, uh, and I'm sure it got their, their attention. They were gathered as the church, followers of Jesus, and they were doing all the right things. But if you know a little bit more, if you've read in the Corinthian letters, you realize that they're full of corrections. Actually, Corinthians, you need to be like this. Actually, you need to uh, uh, act this way when you come to the Lord's table. Actually, you need to treat one another with love. Actually, this is what the resurrection is. Again and again, uh, Paul needs to clarify uh, the whole life and the whole thought, the, the power of the Spirit uh, of what uh, Jesus Christ wants to have visible in his body, which is the church. And to us, um, as uh, recipients of, of these letters, um, we, we start to realize this is really, really valuable. It's valuable as it um, um, not only tells us what was the evolution of the theology of all that Jesus came to teach and as an example and in the power of his suffering and death and resurrection, what, what does that mean and how does that uh, transform us as, as followers? Paul has given us a real gift in these letters. But some of them are kind of hard to digest and we, we are quick to say, well, you know, these opening verses in chapter 3, those are for the Corinthians, uh, the uh, people of the flesh. They are, are not spiritual enough. They're not full of the spirit enough. That's what spiritual maybe means. That realm in ourselves, our souls we call it sometimes, that is meant to be infused and overflowing with the, with the presence of God, the spirit of God who is everywhere present and powerful. Um, Paul doesn't mince words. He, he says, I fed you with milk not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. And then he gets to the presenting issue that has maybe triggered this, uh, this way of talking to the Corinthians. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are, are you not of the flesh? and behaving according to human inclinations? He asked that rhetorical question. If you're acting this way with jealousy and with quarreling, are you not of the flesh? Are you not immature in your spirituality? Are you like infants in Christ? He goes on and he talks about the argument maybe that they are having between who is the better preacher and the theologian? Is it Paul or is it Apollos? He is setting one against the other, and uh, Paul maybe is 
would have been tempted to say, well, I, I really am more mature and, and better looking than Apollos. Of course, you want to follow me, vote for me. We're used to that kind of uh, uh, self-promotion, aren't we, in our world that is so, um, so exposed to politics and, uh, and campaigns. And, and we start to think, well, that's, that's normal. That's, uh, that's the way that we should uh, encourage our children to be. And that's what maturity looks like. Actually, that's what immaturity looks like. That's what Paul is saying. That there is something else that we are called to do, another way that we're called to behave. And it's shaped by Scripture. It is shaped by, shaped by the Word of God. And it is shaped by the body when it gets together and worships rightly to encourage each other, not only to good works, but to be formed to be formed in the likeness of Jesus the Christ. And so this passage comes to us, and thankfully it gets a little more positive as, as the verses go on. He, uh, he starts talking about um, God giving the growth. Oh, there is hope. God does encourage us to grow. Whew. Thank God. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Uh, the one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. Well, he ends on a very positive note, that same passage that begins, you are people of the flesh, infants in Christ. This is where you're headed, though. This is what God's will for you is. This is what God provides in his scripture and his teachings. God's field. God's field, a place where, where food can grow, a place where crops can develop a place where there is infantry, infancy, and there is growth, and there is fruitfulness, and harvest time, fields, and God's building. God's building, this kind of prefigures what we, what we see in verse 16 in the same chapter. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. If we, if we stay with Paul, if we... If we continue to read, we find ourselves that we are becoming something that is sanctified, something that is holy, not because of our efforts, but because of God's provision to us. But still, the, uh, the word sticks, doesn't it? Because uh, we start to realize, well, we are also uh, Corinthians. We are also human. We are also flesh. We were also put together the same way that the Corinthians were. And we are on the way as they were. We are infants to some degree as they were. It is a call for us to become God's field, to adopt some other images that will help us uh, be productive, to help us become part of uh, an edifice, and most of all, to do things together that we could never accomplish on our own. Some, some of us maybe are, uh, are kind of stuck at, uh, at the 
at the opening time when we said yes to, to Jesus, when we accepted Jesus as our personal savior, perhaps, in that language, when we heard and responded to the nudge, the call, the push of God, and, and said, yes, I am yours, and you are mine. I accept your forgiveness, your love. I want to be a Christian. But really, that's a little bit like uh, the situation where a, a, a mother early in the evening heard a, heard a, heard a thump up, upstairs in, in the bedroom where her son had gone to sleep uh, earlier. And she went up the stairs, peeked in the, uh, peeked in the, the doorway, and, and there was her son uh, sitting on the floor next to his bed. And, and she said, uh, well, my, my, my son, what happened? I, I thought you were in bed sleeping. And uh, a little groggy and bewildered, the son looked up and said, I guess I ended up exactly where I was when I got into bed. Back at the starting point. And that's as far as he got in his sleep. He ended back to where he had started. To grow is to move on. To realize that those conversion experiences are, are the beginning of a journey or maybe the first of many conversions, of, of turnings, of, uh, of, of receiving the, the power and the spirit of God. And what is the content of that? What is the, the light and the, and the lamp for that? It is the word of God. It is scripture. We call it the Bible together in this library of books. But it is the Spirit of God working in and through that into our lives to help us to grow as followers of Jesus. Eugene Kennedy, a, a priest and a psychologist, uh, wrote about, um, in every man there is a little boy. And that little boy is, is there no matter how, how old biologically that, that man is. And that little, little boy Wants to, wants to come out, wants to make himself known. And, uh, and that little boy is, is, uh, is full of enthusiasm and innocent. That little boy is, uh, is, is alert to all, all things that might be new and, and interesting to him. That little boy thinks, I can do that. I wonder what that might be like. And, and it's full of... Uh, full of the best of everything of creation. But there is another little boy in every man too, and, 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 that, and that little boy is, is the one who is, who is selfish about his own needs, about uh, his own viewpoint, about, uh, about the, the instincts of, uh, of dominating and, and defending and... Um, in grasping what might be in shortage, and so I'm going to cling that to myself. There's another little boy in there, the second one that, uh, that wants to dominate, that wants to uh, cut down and shoot and, and destroy. And every man, those two little boys have a presence. And depending on how that man is able to mature, those little boys will have more and more of an influence on who the man is as an adult. 
And he closes by saying, there's lots of little boys running around out there. And they're pretty old. I'm not telling anything new that we all are invited and we all are on the way to growing older chronologically. But the wisdom of Scripture and the Word of God, the Apostle Paul here today, invites us to, to grow up, to grow up in the Lord, to, uh, to use what you, you know and what you have been in the Lord and, and, to, uh, and to make more of it, to, to learn more, to do more, to exercise more your faith uh, so that you might be a field and a, a building of God on the way to becoming a, a temple in whom God dwells. More recently, Richard Rohr wrote a book, Falling Upward. Falling Upward. It's a spirituality for the two halves of life. It's not so much based on, uh, on a certain age of any one person, but it is is a way that he's talking about uh, about this very thing about about growth about maturity about feasting on milk or uh, or, or 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 solid food uh, talking about uh, growing from infancy to uh, to adulthood in Christ the first half of uh, of life has to do with our identity it has to do with uh, um, with finding our our place with, with our community, our family, our, our, our destiny, our career. It has to do with uh, being at peace with ourselves, with, uh, with who we are. But that's not the end. That is the preparation for the second half of life, for really focusing who we are in, the, in relationship to God, to, um, to be able to... Uh, to know more of God and receive more of God into our lives. And in order to get to that second half of life, we, we have to fall upward, fall upward into leaving many of the, uh, many of the juvenile things behind, uh, reactions that maybe we have said, well, that's just the way I am. No, that's the way that... Uh, that that little boy or one of those boys inside of me, one of those little girls inside of me, was or is. Uh, but now I am beyond that. I am I'm maturing. I'm growing up. There is more that is available to me if I can be that way, if I can be open to, to God's spirit within me, helping me to grow. We grow in, in many different ways, and... And maybe there are some symptoms that we, can, uh, that we can name that helps us to answer the question, well, uh, what on earth are you talking about, Pastor Dan? How about these uh, symptoms? Uh, symptoms of, uh, of immaturity. One of them would be to... Uh, Understand that uh, faith is a guarantee of prosperity. That, uh, that that's what I use uh, my faith for, is to have good luck and to make sure that things turn out okay for me. 
Or is prayer? Uh, prayer is a, um, is a, is a request bin that, uh, that I go to the Lord with. Uh, uh, these are my needs. Will you take care of those things? Or, or maybe a symptom of maturity is to, uh, is, is to, is to work on, uh, on, 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 on being okay or accepting those parts within myself that, um, that seem to have dominion over me. We used to call them besetting sins in the church. Those habits that are destructive, maybe to my body and, uh, and, and maybe to my, my mind, my relationships. But I can't do anything about it. They have been a part of me for so long that they constitute me. They have control over me. Uh, and that is a place where God really can't intervene. And then... And then maybe uh, another symptom of uh, spiritual immaturity is, uh, is, a, is the church, is a, is a place where I go to receive something, uh, a, a place where I go to, uh, um, to see what is offered to me. And uh, when I leave church, I, I want to, to feel, I want to feel better. I want to feel... Uh, I went to feel like uh, like that was that was worth it. It was good. It, it touched something in me that uh, um, that needed soothing. It was a good experience. Or maybe another symptom of immaturity is uh, is being unable to accept what others experience of the faith. Um, might have some truth, even though it seems to be uh, contrary to to how I think of faith. As we take seriously this call of Paul into the Corinthian lives and and our lives too, as we realize this is the word of God, maybe we are invited to grow in in the directions of understanding that uh, the faith is. Is neither a guarantee of prosperity or protection from troubles, but a certain knowledge that God is is with us. Our maturity might realize that prayer is a is a way to make yourself basically and in the end vulnerable to God. Or that having success in the struggle with our besetting sins, those habits that, that have dominion over, over us is, is something with which God can help and, and that he knows our troubles and we really need to look to him for that gift to deal with those besetting sins in our lives. Or realizing that... Uh, a church is not only a place to receive, uh, but a place to give, a place to join with others, to be a community together. Or that realizing the faith and the expression of others' faith might actually be something that can enrich ours, 
as we seek to understand and accept and to be brothers and sisters in Christ together. I think that the Corinthians got the idea. They had to because Paul was in a relationship with them and the and the pages that unfold in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, scholars think these are fragments, maybe of five or six letters. He wrote to them that much. But they become more astute. They become um, more wonderful. They become more detailed. He dares to give them more instructions about what love is or what communion is or, or the resurrection is, its power and its mystery. He is talking about gifts of the Spirit and the spiritual gifts that, that are in them. All these things unfold in the latter chapters, the latter letters of, of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. So they got the idea, and they continued to grow. They became God's temple in which the Spirit dwelled. The pathway to that is the pathway to God's spirit, the presence of God in our lives. That's what makes it scripture God's word because it, uh, it is a witness for how people have found that and then also uh, clear instructions and encouragement, proddings, uh, naming truth about how that is there or not and, uh, and helps us to find the way. And then prayer is a time to be vulnerable before God. To say, I, I have your spirit. I long for more of your spirit, Lord. Fill me. Use me. Help me to grow in faith. John's going to come and he's going to tell us about, uh, about the anthem that the choir is going to sing. And coincidentally, it's uh, every time I feel the Spirit, I will hmm, pray. Now listen to this. Take over, John. <laughs> Thank you. The African American spiritual is a type of music that's unique to the United States. If you look in our hymnal, you'll find that there's 18 examples that we have in there. The very first one of the, uh, of the items in the Psalter, the tune, the response tune, is also a spiritual, I shall not be moved. The first one that we see in the hymnal is page 119. Go down, Moses is the tune. If you want to turn to page 119 in your hymnals, and we'll follow along on this a little bit. Frederick, Frederick Douglass stated that the spiritual was a tale of woe that is altogether beyond feeble comprehension, and that every tone was a testament against slavery and a prayer to God for deliverance from chains. We tend to think of spirituals as relatively unsophisticated pieces of music with unsophisticated messages and in some cases slightly incorrect theology. I would like to disabuse you of that notion 
and tell you that they're much more sophisticated than you may think. I also disagree with Frederick Douglass. During the time that he was alive, he may very well have wished that the spirituals remained incomprehensible to white people. Because spirituals, almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them, are written in code. They have a surface meaning. They have another meaning. In some cases, they have still another meaning hidden underneath the hidden meaning. And so let's turn to 119 in the hymnal and look at when Israel was in Egypt's land. When Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand, let my people go. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. Now the surface meaning of this is perfectly obvious. It's the story of the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. Who could argue with that? Did you know that this song was banned throughout all the American South? That slaves could get into huge trouble for singing it? Slave owners knew that when this song was sung, that slaves started to run away. They started to disappear. They thought that the message was so powerful that it was inciting their slaves to rebellion. So that's the second message. The slaves did indeed identify themselves with the children of Israel, and this was an open statement of resistance to the oppression of the slave owners who were identified with Pharaoh. Slave owners obviously didn't like this and took exception to the song. What they didn't realize is that there's yet another meaning buried underneath that one. And it has to do with the person of Moses. Because Moses is a code name. Does anybody know who the name is the code for? Harriet Tubman. Tubman was one of the most famous conductors on the Underground Railroad, secretly bringing slaves up to the north. She specifically would tell people to sing this song when she was in the area collecting people for another trip north. So the slave masters were right. When people sang this song, they started losing slaves. They started running away. They just didn't know why. Go down Moses, way down in Egypt's land. Okay, that's not biblical language either. The Bible says going down to Egypt. It doesn't say going way down to Egypt. Why way down? Way down south. So this not only says that, yeah, you can, you can get on the Underground Railroad and you can get out if you're in the border states of Kentucky, Maryland, Delaware, and Missouri. But you can make it from way down south, too. You can make it from the Cotton Belt. You can make it up from Georgia, from Alabama, from Mississippi, from Louisiana. It's possible. That's what this song is saying. We know for sure that what I've just described about this song is accurate because there, Harriet Tubman herself 
confirmed many of these details. For most other spirituals, we can only speculate because the um, actual meanings have been lost to history. Um, in the time immediately after the Civil War, these songs were considered to be a memory of a very bad time, and most African Americans didn't like singing them. And so it wasn't until the 1890s, really, that um, they became popular again, and people started trying to figure out what they meant, by which point a lot of the people who had originally written them were dead. So we have to speculate a little bit, but it's pretty easy to speculate about what the song that we're going to sing today actually means. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see the words are, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Yes, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Okay, the surface meaning is obvious. This is what a good Christian is supposed to do. You're moved by the Spirit, you pray to God. Upon the mountain my Lord spoke. Out of his mouth came fire and smoke. Looked all around me, it looked so fine, till I asked my Lord if it were mine. Again, the surface meaning is obvious. This is Moses on Mount Sinai. So the slaves are claiming the same spiritual heritage as the children of Israel. Next line, Jordan's river is chilly and cold. It chills the body, but not the soul. There ain't but one train upon this track. It goes to heaven and then right back. So this is pretty simple. You're claiming the spiritual heritage by baptism, because Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. You know, I'm getting baptized, I'm getting saved, and I'm on that one-way track to heaven. But that's not all it means. The wording is curious. And slaves would pass these wordings off as their lack of command of the English language, when actually the wording is on purpose. They would pass their bad theology off as not really understanding the gospel as well as they should, which was also a bunch of baloney. Looked all around me, it looked so fine, till I asked my Lord if all was mine. That's not biblical language. If this were biblical language, it would say, looked all around me, it looked so fine, and my Lord told me it all was mine. That's what it actually says in the Bible about the children of Israel. So what's this mean? And it says, till I asked my Lord if all were mine. Well, if you're a slave and you look around you, is anything yours? No. I asked my Lord if all were mine. It's not. But it looked so fine before. So is it fine? Not a chance. Jordan's river is chilly and cold. It chills the body, but not the soul. Really? Everything I know about the Jordan River is that except in the spring snowmelt when it comes off Mount Hermon, it's lukewarm most of the year. Maybe it's not that Jordan River. Because other uses of the Jordan River are the boundary to the promised land. 
the boundary to the free states. There's two rivers that can function as the Jordan River. One's the Ohio. On the north side of the Ohio is Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, which are all free states. The other one is the Potomac. And at Harper's Ferry, from the south bank of the Potomac, you're not in free country on the other side, you're still in Maryland, but you can see Pennsylvania from there. So the Potomac was also considered one of the River Jordan. Both of those mountains flow out of the Appalachian, both of those rivers flow out of the Appalachian Mountains. They're both cold most of the year. This probably refers to those Jordan, those rivers as the Jordan River, not the Jordan River of the Bible. There ain't but one train upon this track. That sounds biblical. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but by me. It goes to heaven and right back. Huh? Christians don't believe in reincarnation. What's this about? Well, if the railroad is referred to as the underground railroad, your conductor is going to take you to heaven, which is the free states, or after the Fugitive Slave Act, Canada, and then come right back for another load. And so we see that this isn't a fun, unsophisticated piece of music. It's more, much more than that, and now you know that too. Will the choir please come up and we'll sing this for you?